We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 263 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I've got LeBon, better known as Barcelev, with me again to talk transfers and preview some of those international tournaments starting in the next few days. You ready, LeBon? Let's do this. Yeah, and we're going to get right into it. No wasted time today. I know it's the summertime. We can have some fun, relax, but it seems like Juan Laporta and the rest of that Barca back scene, well, I don't know about sales so much, but as far as purchasing players or looking to try to nail down some early contracts in this summer season, it seems like they are hard at work, at least in between their golf tournaments with Pep Guardiola and Ricky Puj. And the first name I think we should bring up after Sergio Aguero and Eric Garcia from last week is Emerson, who would... he. I think it's interesting to note that that contract is not done, that's not official, and he was not presented yet, even though we did see uh, social media did have a post about him in that, you know, that, that pseudo paint, there, that, that mat they keep using, M-A-T-T-E, if you will. But it seems like, Levon, that this really isn't a done deal. Barcelona reportedly paid $9 million to make the deal permanent, but they still may sell him on if all reports are to be, are to be true. Um, I think they're going to keep him. Um, he already came out and said that he doesn't want to go anywhere, uh, which makes a sell-on more, more difficult. Also, even if we sell him on, we're not actually going to make that much money because uh, part of that fee would also go to, to Betis. Um, he's obviously a profile that we don't have yet because we don't have any physical fullbacks except for Firpo on the left who never gets any game time. And, you know, Sergio Roberto is nobody's favorite except that his coaches like him. And Sergio Dest is still too raw to really be that solid option that we need on the on the right flank. Uh, and we know that if Messi stays, he does want to win something. So I'm not saying that Emerson is going to make that happen, but I do think that he has good chances to stay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure, how do I say this? There's not many players that I don't have any opinion on. You know, we're if hosting a podcast. We're in the, the business of making opinions and making clear-cut opinions about players before seeing them too quickly. Uh, that said, I've seen Emerson 15 to 20 times with Real Betis, uh, even last season, uh, probably more than that within the last two seasons. So he played 38 matches last year, two goals, four assists. And yeah, he's one of those players that I don't really have a distinct opinion on other than he does everything good or very good or, or rather well. And I don't think he necessarily does anything particularly poorly. 
And I think the only fallout of, or the only issues with trying to prejudge what he'll bring to Barcelona is to, uh, uh, you know, very much like what we talked about with Aguero and Garcia, who we kind of understand what kind of players they are and who they are and what they do well and what they don't do well. But for Emerson, because I think he's so well-rounded, and then the holes in his game, I think, are things that you'd expect, where does he leave a little bit too much room in behind? Yes, when he gets forward, but most fullbacks do. But I also think his defensive work, he's, again, as you said, he's more physical than I think the prototypical Jordi Alba or Sergino Des or a full uh, attacking fullback like that. He's a Brazilian fullback, and that comes with a lot of stereotypes about, I don't even want to say the name Danny Alves, but yeah, it comes with all those stereotypes, but even an, an Adriano and what a Brazilian fullback is supposed to be. And for me, Emerson is I mean, just for style of play, he's much more Adriano than he is Danny Alves. And that's not just, and we're not talking about good or bad. I'm just talking about the style that they have in their play, the way that they defend, the way he cuts out different positionings and takes attackers off the ball, the way he, I mean, the way he, when the ball is going forward on the wing, he'll conservatively change his hips and he'll dive in at the last minute. But it's not necessarily a rash tackle, but he uses his physicality to close out that space as opposed to trying to step in earlier up the field. He's willing to trust his speed and his strength in a one-on-one battle, and he does allow a little more cushion for an attacker to run at him, believing that he's going to be able to force him out wide, as opposed to, again, like a Danny Alves, would have to step in quickly and cut out that passing lane a little quicker than Emerson is willing to play within himself in a 1v1. So that's kind of my scouting report from Emerson, but I am interested, just as you said, with Messi on that right side. It's all about, for right-backs, how you work with Lionel Messi. I mean, that's the be-all and end-all, I think, for this coming season if Messi were to stay. And here lies the trap, right? Because every time that we get a we get a new right back, first of all we compare him to uh, to Dani Alves, which is unfair. But second of all, when we look at our right backs and we say, well, you know, they're not they're not physical enough because they cannot defend. Then when we do get a physical back, what we do is we fail to realize, uh, especially for young right backs or full backs in general, if they are physical, if they are fast, that means that coming up they rely on their speed, they rely on their strength. So it gives them an advantage. So it will be very difficult to, uh, or it is difficult to beat Emerson in a one-on-one, whether on speed or just because of his physicality, the way he uses his body. And, uh, you know, it's hard for attackers to get to get past him. They can get in behind him when he goes forward. But when he actually is in position, it's very difficult to get past him. But that also means that his positioning can be off. And uh, also his, uh, his link-up play is not the strongest. He knows how to reach the back line, but he's not going to come to the inside of the pitch and, and combine. He's, uh, if you look at his heat map, it's very much on the right side of the pitch. So very, like he hugs the line and he gets in behind and he gets those crosses off with very varied success. Um, but it, he does not really come inside that much which also means that you know he doesn't combine and link up as well as maybe uh, Dest potentially can do. Now, can Emerson improve it? Sure. Uh, does Emerson give us things that neither Dest nor Roberto gave us? Sure. But um, whereas you'll see half of the Kules on Barca Twitter in particular pretend that he's the solution to, to our problems on the right back. Uh, no, he is a different solution to the same problem, but with this solution, we might have other problems. Uh, So this is something that we will find out, and hopefully not just this season, but in the seasons to come, because he does have a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean, you could, I could easily argue with you that as far as the fullback position, this is about as deep with Emerson joining Des on that right side, that 
it's, it's easy to disparage one or the other and say one is good for this situation, one is good for the other. But Des does different things in Emerson. I think the way that they even complement each other. I mean, Emerson can also play in three at the back as a center back, just like a junior Firpo. You wouldn't expect him to, but if you're going to play that 3-5-2 and you have Dest on the wing, he is much more of the 1v1. And, and you were correct to say that I think Dest has much higher p- potential in 1v1 dribbling on the right wing uh, or the left wing. And he also has, I think, better pose- potential to, as you said, cut inside and combine. That uh, Yes, he's Brazilian, but don't stereotype that Emerson is uh, is really good with his, the ball at his feet in that way. He isn't. His, his samba, his... His sauce, if you will, comes out wide and comes in, uh, again, a well-rounded game. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the Emerson point. We'll have to see. As you said, I agree with you that very likely he'll be arriving at Barcelona in the coming weeks when everything is sorted. You know, just cro- uh, yeah, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on all those things uh, and getting his wages set. And I think wages is where we bring up a player that, while Emerson looks to be in, uh, Wijnaldum is obviously certainly out. He already posed in the PSG jersey, so that's done and dusted. And... You know, as you and I were talking about this right before we started, unfortunately, I think we're going to land on nuance and agreeableness, which is or amendable uh, conversation, which is obviously not what the the hot take people want. But hopefully that's what our podcast listeners are here for. So when all them, it's a three year deal to PSG worth potentially double the terms that he'd already agreed with Barcelona, which was reported at 8.6 million euros after tax, which means Barcelona were offering around 5 million or so for the player, which looking at the wage bill would actually put him right around what Sergino Des makes and around four to five million less than what Pjanic and Coutinho make. So not to say that that was fair. It's it's not fair what they offered him in conjunction with the rest of the wage bill. But uh, Levan, what I've been happy with uh, so far this offseason, you can speak about what the expectations for, for Laporte uh, were. You can talk about what they expected to, who they expected to bring in or how difficult it will be to sell players. I think that's the more, the, the more arduous and the more difficult task than it is to offer players a lower salary than they expect. But that said, I'm happy that Barcelona stayed. Uh, they rested on their laurels. They said, hey, we're only going to offer this much for this kind of position. You're coming in to be a rotation midfielder or a normal starter, and this is what we're going to value that position in this role at. And they held the line on that, and he chose to go to PSG for double more. And I think that Barcelona made the right decision. Whether or not he would have been good or bad for Barcelona, now I think is uh, irrelevant. I, I, I mean, that's an easy way to get out of the hot take, whether or not Wijnaldum would have fit at Barcelona. But yeah, I, I think it's irrelevant whether or not he would have fit, because Barcelona decided to do the thing that made the most sense financially for them, and that's not to bring in a player that, even if he could have helped the squad, but he would have. it, it, it might have looked bad in three years. It's a, in a three-year deal is what he wanted. So when he's 33, 34 years old... And he's getting paid what he wanted, what, eight million? Yeah, eight and a half million, or that might even rise to 10 million euros for a 33 year old midfielder. Then, then Barcelona are going to be back on the, the wrong side of it. So you got to break the bank sometimes, but I, I, he wasn't a player that I wanted to play or that I felt comfortable with breaking the bank on. Yeah, I mostly agree. Um, look, Wijnaldum is not as bad as people make him out to be. Klopp loves him, Pochettino really wanted him. Um, apparently, um, uh, Julian Nagelsmann at Bayern also wanted him. Uh, so that's three top coaches who want him, plus Kuman. So obviously, he has a lot of quality. And uh, if you're if you're willing to look and you're willing to consider teams that do not play in uh, an idealized version of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, then Malnolm is an extremely valuable player. Uh, the only question that I had regarding the transfer when it was proposed and he was willing to come on low wages was, well, you know, he's 30 years old and 30 years old in club years is like 40 years old. (laughs) 
you know, because once you've played in a Jurgen Klopp team for four or five seasons, like he really runs you into the ground. So we already saw the past season that he was not as efficient. He did not run as much. And would that translate to the seasons to come? Uh, if it does, then no matter what the price, we have done well to avoid it. However, if he plays close to his level of the last three seasons, then Paris Saint-Germain uh, will have made an incredibly good signing that will improve their team. So I'm not sad that uh, that we don't get him. I wouldn't have been upset if we if we had signed him. I'm extremely happy that we did not meet Paris Saint-Germain's uh, price of what, 9, 10 million, which I heard was triple of what we were offering him uh, because that would have been insane. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And as far as his profile goes, he's a good player that was going to add experience. He was going to add some stability defensively, which we, I always say is an important part that people kind of forget about. Uh, that, that buzzword term I like to use, rest defense. He's one of the better players in the world at that. You see it really shine with the Netherlands as well. The minute that even when they have the ball, he's in the position to win the ball back. He's helpful at, uh, again, ball possession, and that's the Klopp style. It comes along with that. Um, I was a little concerned that just 22 goals and 237 appearances for Liverpool, you're not really going to get two. And two of those came against Barcelona, unfortunately. And that, yeah, right, right, right. So, yeah, so that's only 20 other goals that we didn't see him score for Liverpool. Um, yeah, in, in almost 240 appearances. So you weren't going to get that scoring punch. And it is concerning that you're... Again, adding another midfielder along with, we'll see how long, much, how much more you get out of Busquets. De Jong did a little bit of scoring, but it came in a different role. He has to play that role. He's not going to make those, he's not going to score as many goals from a deeper position as De Jong. And even uh, look at the rest of them that uh, ES Moriba will, we're kind of uncertain. We'll see how much goal scoring he does throughout his career. Uh, he did have those two goals for Barcelona, the, the first team that being, but even for Barca B and the Juvenil odds, he scored some Galazos, but he doesn't really score a lot of goals. So yeah, he's not really a goal-scoring midfielder with Wijnaldum. So I was concerned it was continuing to put pressure on the, the forward line to basically score everything as they have since 2015. Now, as far as we're basically replacing Wijnaldum midfielder with Pjanic going the other way, potentially with Coutinho most likely going the other way, even though you could argue that Pjanic is potentially worth not even more, but more likely to be able to find a way out than Coutinho just due to, to, to wages, even though Pjanic makes, uh, again, close to 10 million euros, which is, or 8 million euros, which is insane. That said, now there are rumors of Fabian Ruiz, Mikel Moreno, who plays for Real Sociedad and had a really, really good year, and then a young Ajax midfielder in, in Ryan Gravenberch, who is a defensive midfielder who can score goals. He's going to be probably one of the top midfielders in the world in three, four years' time. But that said, I, I think for, for Gravenberch, not to say it's a bit redundant, but there's a, quite a few players in Barcelona's own academy that they can look at to do 70 to 80 percent of what Gravenberch does uh, at, at a very similar age. But uh, do you think, Levon, that Barcelona is going to continue to kick up all the rocks they can on bringing in another midfielder? It seems like that's the goal. But the names that I said in Ruiz and Marino and Gravenberch, I mean, those are some of the easiest rumor names you can throw out there, right? Those are the ones that are always attached to, to rumors year in and year out, and they seem to, to, to never really come to fruition. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I haven't heard any name that uh, I would get excited about. Gundogan of Manchester City mm-hmm. is another midfielder that we were linked with. If we go for a physical midfielder, like say Fabian Ruiz is a bit more physical than, than, than others, right? Even though he also has that Spanish uh, touch. Um, there's no, first of all, he's worth a lot of money. And either if we sell pay- players and raise that money or if we use players in a trade, I don't see why we would spend it on him. As you said, the, the kid from Ajax, we have players in that similar mold that we can use ourselves. Um, Mikel Moreno, again, six, 60 million is his release clause. Real Sociedad is not going to lower it a lot. Even if they say they lower it to 40 million, um, I think we should use that money on on other players players if if we raise it. I do think that Kuman wants somebody. I also think that Kuman would really like somebody in the Wijnaldum mold. Um Wijnaldum, by the way, does not score a lot of goals for Liverpool, but the way Kuman used them for Haaland, he ha- had a very good scoring record. Um However, I don't see anybody on the market quite like that for a price that makes sense. So if it were my decision, I would just stick with what we have. We have uh, also Collado, who can play in midfield. Uh, We have Ricky Puig, who uh, I hope will get a lot more minutes. We have Elix Moriba, who will be with us from the start of the season and will be trusted even more. Kuman really believes in him. Uh, we still have Busquets and we still have Frankie de Jong. And I also think that it will be very difficult for us to sell um, Antoine Griezmann. And I think in an attacking midfield role, he can he can be valuable. Yeah, I also um, want to throw we, Nick, I also want to throw Nico Gonzalez's name in the mix. It came out that he'll probably do preseason with the first team. And all true. the indications are they're kind of tipping their hat that we could see him earlier than than uh, than later in that in that season, but and I also on Callado, it was unfortunate where this season he really really played well. As I said, he was the best player in the third division as a right winger. Then for the last stretch of the season, when Iash was always with the first team, Callado came back from an injury and played as an interior. And I don't really think that's where he's going to be a first team player. You know, he can do that, but I, again, I as you said, I you throw I throw Pujin as the interior every other time. I mean, I also want to throw in, too, with the wrinkle of Pedri, that I, I know the stature and what he looks like physically doesn't matter, but his his numbers, the advanced metrics for when he played at a defensive midfield spot, even when it was a double pivot, going all the way back to the Champions League in the, in the fall, uh, he was better than you think he was uh, as defensive midfielder, which, again, it's easy to praise Pedri because he played everywhere in the midfield and was pretty, really good um, most of the year and surprised and surpassed expectations. But now in year two with Pedri, it's okay. We're not surprised anymore. The other teams have seen it. They watch film. They know who he is. They're not going to be surprised. But because of all the things he can do, I mean, maybe Pedri again could do so much of what 
you'd be expecting in that position. So I am going to move on quickly to, as you said, with with Man City players. And it seems like whether it's Sterling or any player that you can find on Man City. I mean, Garcia and Aguero. So it is true that Barcelona have been looking at Man City squad at trying to upgrade their own. Now, Americ Laporte is the, ne- is the, the next one on that list, the left-footed center back. Started 37% of matches in the Premier League, making 27 appearances in total, which is just about half of the matches that Man City played this season. He's 27 and has a contract until 2025. And, I mean, the question is, why would Man City sell him for anything less than where he came from? We're dealing with Athletic Club. Why would he sell? Why would they sell for anything less than Athletic Club-sized amount of money on a transfer? Meaning they just hold out and, and, and wait for something bigger. But if the player, and it's expected that the player is forcing his way out because you see that most likely Laporte and Garcia will start for Spain together in the upcoming Euros that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And for Laporte, yeah, I think this is the moment at 27 where he'd want to move on. Uh, moving back to Spain where he played some of, obviously I think he was even better for Athletic Club in his last year or two than he's been for Man City. He only really had one injury-free good season, but he's also, again, only plays 37% of matches in the Premier League because he can't stay on the field. That's another issue, too. He's missed 60% of all matches in the last three seasons for Man City. So I think that brings down his price quite a lot. And again, his contract being till 2025 is worrisome. But, I mean, other than being a left-footed center back, I mean, what's I, I don't, I'm not sure about this one. But it seems like the buzz around it, I, I don't know how to say this, Levon, but we read the same transfer rumors. And it seems like where there's smoke, there's fire on some. And where there's, you know, and others you kind of can throw away. But this is a player that's been linked to Barcelona for the better part of almost 10 years, going back to his athletic club days when he was 17, 18, 19 years old. So I think there is a little bit of credence here. It makes sense for both teams. But this one, again, might be one where do you truly need, do you need, need, need a left-footed center back or you're going to trust that Garcia, who's also right-footed, Mingueta, who's right-footed, Araujo, who's right-footed, Pique, who's right-footed, Langley, and Umtiti. I can't imagine both of them leaving. So I just, it seems like too many center backs and him being a left-footed, high-quality center back would be the only reason why Barcelona are, are, are really needing to have his name brought to the Camp Nou. I'm not in love with him. You know, I've never really bought into the Laporta hype, even when he was linked with us um, before he went to City. Then when he went to City, um, okay, he did get injured. But even when fit, and even being a left-footed uh, center back, which uh, Guardiola has publicly stated how uh, much of an advantage it has, uh, to have somebody in the left foot, uh, on the left side of that uh, central defense. E- even so, he lost his place at some point this season. Um, I know Kuman also values very much a left-footed center back. Uh, he does not want to play with right-footed center backs uh, in, in his back line. He's avoided it a lot of times, always played Langley or Umtiti, or at least almost always, despite neither of them playing well this season. So it will be interesting to see what's going to happen. Um, I probably prefer to uh, either go for Jules Condé, who will be available mm-hmm. for 60 million. And I do think that you know there are trades that even make sense for uh, for Monchi of Sevilla. So if we could give them a long layback and Trincao, that could be a win-win for everybody. For example, um, the Licht. I can imagine a scenario in which uh, Dembélé does not re- renew. And uh, Dembele goes and Pjanic go to Juve, and the Licht comes this way. Uh, this could also be something that could interest both teams. However, if Kuman insists on playing three in the back, whether that's in a 3 5 2 or a 3 4 3, then you absolutely need a left footed 
center back. And, you know, I don't want that person to be either Umtiti or Langley. So if you go three in the back, then Amérique Laporte makes sense to me. Um, if not, I would avoid that signing. Yeah, I, I think price is going to matter. Uh, I think price is going to be the thing that it really comes down to. And as I said, going back to Wijnaldum, that I was happy that Laporta and there's a little bit of maybe I'm overreaching in the trust, but I think there's trust that's already been gained. And, and also Barcelona does control a bit of their own rumors and their own, you know, it's helpful for Barcelona to put out the, their own propaganda that, hey, you know, we didn't sign Wijnaldum when we could have for that price. And look, we're, we're holding the line on players that we're looking to try to, uh, to purchase and they're asking for too much. And, you know, we're smarter. This is the business is better. So you'd hope that, uh, you know, they, they should gain a little bit of institutional trust. Uh, yeah. And, and the point about Langley, I've been saying it for years. I've been hoping and looking for better ball playing skills, uh, playing and training in Barcelona, training every single day. You, I'd hope that those passes that he should be getting between those lines from 20 to 25 yards. I mean, is he ever going to be a top, top ball playing center back? No. And we've seen many, many times you don't need to be just maybe one or one of the two or two of the three, if it's a three at the back, needs to be able to spray a ball 25 yards and break a line or two. And Langley has proven in the last two, three seasons that he's not that player, but he's also really good in the air and 50-50. And he's the one who can step up into the midfield. He has the mobility that even though he's not the fastest on the ground 1v1, when the ball's up in the air, he's very good positionally uh, and he cuts out that first wave of attack. Uh, but that said, yeah, Langley, to me, I've been waiting for that improvement. But other than one or two times, I'll, when I'm watching matches, I'll take a note and I'll say, oh, Langley, there's that ball. But I only take that note once every five weeks, four weeks, right? And there's, what, in seven or eight, nine games when he makes that pass that you watch Laporte, even in the 37% of matches that he played in the Premier League, you go through his highlights. I mean, he plays that ball two times a game, right? Three times a game. So uh, there's certainly things he does. But yeah, defensively, the frailties... I don't think I don't know if Barcelona actually even wins that that we'll say that trade off between Laporte and Langley because of what Laporte I think doesn't give you defensively and also if he can't stay on the field durability is something that we have to always mention is an important part of being a footballer so yeah I mean I, th I think that'll wrap that up about the transfer section the only other quick note is I do want to plug the Barca B who's going to get promoted thing we, I, I tease it a little bit but. I have that on YouTube, and one of the reasons I, I want to add that amendum to Alex Callado, certainly he'll be playing first-team football, probably with Barcelona next season, but also potentially elsewhere. Remember, Carlos Alenia is also trying to come back from Hadafe. I thought he was good enough to potentially be a squad player, but if, if there is no other midfield, maybe Alenia sticks around, but, I mean, if Kuman doesn't want to play him, then he won't play. That said, the one transfer note about Barca B, a 22-year-old winger is coming in, Ferran Zutka, butcher that one, Zutka, there we go. Uh, he's, he's the captain of Espanyol B. He's coming on a free transfer. He only had five goals, tw two assists in 28 matches last season. So he comes in, I guess, as a leader, captain of the side. That's not a, a first-team signing. Don't put that on your radar. If he scored five goals in the, in the third division as potentially his team's best player, then, you know, they also were relegated to the fourth division. So that's not going to get the job done. But if he had some institutional knowledge of the third division, it's helpful because, as I want to remind you, Garcia and Pimienta had one of the youngest Barca B squads of all time. If Callado, Nico Gonzalez, they get promoted, A.S. Moiba is promoted. Next year is also going to be one of the youngest in Barca B history. We saw even 16-year-olds, Gabi, Angel Alacan. They were 16. They'll be 17 next year. They'll probably be actually like main figures in Barcelona B. So it'll be a young squad again. And making a room for a uh, making a move for a veteran isn't a bad thing. As I had mentioned on, you'll see in the video, Raymond Oz scored 14 goals this season. 
even though he's a third division player from, you know, there's always been in the second or third division in Spanish football and Italian football. You need players like that. It, it can't be 70% of the squad like it was in 2017-18. But if it is 20% of the squad to have uh, the Ray Menages who scored 14 goals for you at 23 years old, 24, is 24 now. And then Mateus Pardao, who's 23 year old and just kind of plays everywhere and doesn't need to fight for promotion with the Pujas and the Ias Moribas and the Gonzalez. So, I mean, I mean, I'll give you 30 seconds on this one, Levon. No, you're right. You need a balance there. Um, the only thing that I will say is that 22-year-old is uh, very old to get poached from Espanol to, to Barcelona. Usually we take them younger yep. because we rate their academy a lot. Well, which... yeah. I mean, Alex Callado, Alejandro no. Balde, Chus Alba. And I mean, that's just off the top of my head. So the, the list goes yep. on and on and on and on. Um, but yeah, so let's pivot to a uh, player that Barcelona poached from Ajax's academy, a pretty good academy, and that's Jardino Dest. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm only bringing this up. So he won the first ever, so much history, so much prestige, the first ever CONCACAF Nations League. And no, does that trophy really matter? No, it's the same thing in Europe. The Nations League, it's not really anything yet. It doesn't have any, as I feel like anything that doesn't have history doesn't, not that it doesn't truly matter yet, but it, it takes time and you can throw as many advertising dollars as you want to make people believe that a trophy means something. But the, the inverse of that is the FA Cup. I think the FA Cup is so exciting. There's, it's the oldest trophy. It's, I, I mean, I enjoy the fact that even though the underdogs don't really win, they do occasionally. It's supposed to be this fun thing, but obviously the marketing and the television money isn't there. It's being relegated across the world to, we'll say, the, the, the less than uh, stellar broadcasting crews and the less than stellar uh, availability. For people to even watch so it's unfortunate to see that CONCACAF Nations League though they do have some big money supporting it because it's the federations but the reason that match mattered is because it was against Mexico and I, I don't mean to be lazy here but Dest just like Pedri he seems a little burnt out he seems like he played too much football this year same thing against Mexico he did some good things he played with that sauce that confidence he does but yeah I mean they were playing him that being Greg Berthalter the U.S. coach was playing him as a left winger which was kind of out of position for him. Didn't really look completely comfortable. Switched to the right occasionally, but yeah, wasn't comfortable. That said, for those who watched the USA-Mexico match, I mean, the reason why that match mattered is because it's USA-Mexico. It's one of the best, and I do say that it's one of the best rivalries in the world, but also CONCACAF is utter nonsense. That match was full of all kinds of nonsense, all kinds of silliness. So um, yeah, I think Dest's performance, like many of the individual player performances of that, I, I'm not using that on any scouting reports or worrying about anything of next year based on that. That match was uh, it's, its own little ecosystem of fun and nonsense, and it's a trophy for Dest, but uh, not too much to add other than, yes, I had great fun because the USA won in the way that they did, but um, Mexico-USA is always a fun one. For, for me, there's too much football. You know, Nations <laughs> Leagues... They, they, they should just, they should stop. I mean, come on. Uh, it's a bit like the, the Supercopa, which yeah. was nonsense to begin with. It should not even exist in Spain. And then they turn it, in, turn it into a tournament of even more matches. Um, the players are not even playing as well because they don't get any rest. Yep. It's, we have a Copa America every two years. Copa America is possibly the best international tournament in the world, better than the Euros. <laughs> I mean, even... The, uh, the qualifiers in South America are more fun than the Euros. But I would also say that, you know, it's better than most of the World Cups. But it should not be played every two years. So that, that's where I stand on those tournaments that take over uh, in the summer and the, the, the Nations League tournaments. Uh, before that, it was the Confederations Cup or whatever they called it. Yeah. Like, they, they should not even be played. 
Yeah, and I think that there's there's also ways to shorten those tournaments. But I mean, what happens in all of sports is once you agree to those TV deals, they just want more and more and more. Uh, especially location too. We've seen that whether for especially the Spanish Super Cup, we've seen that they wanted to play it in Saudi Arabia and they did. And you know, depending on where different matches are, and obviously with the World Cup being in Russia in 2018 and and Qatar in 2022, I mean, obviously those are huge eyebrows being raised. So yeah, I, I, mean, I agree that there's too much football and it be, you begin to worry about what next season holds for Barcelona players because of the, I mean, not only what's happening on the field and actually playing, but the Euro and the Copa America, there is a lot going on. Euro a lot less, but Copa America, I do want to talk about it. Not even, again, as we preview it, it it's pretty cut and dry. Argentina in a group with Uruguay, Chile, Paraguay, and Bolivia. So basically the, the comable South and then Brazil has Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Peru. And as you mentioned, uh, even Bolivia in their qualifying, playing on the road in Bolivia at altitude is, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Like it's, it's it, even that it's fun to watch because it's just this incredible the thing of just human endurance to be able to do that. It's the same thing here in the U.S. when teams have to play in Denver or Utah. It's, it's tough and it's, there's a different feel to it. Uh, but for Barcelona fans to watch, it's Messi and Aguero for Argentina. It's Emerson for Brazil and it's Ronald Araujo who will I think potentially be starting for Uruguay, but maybe just a squad player. Yeah, but all that said, I, I think the whole tournament is even taking a backseat, at the moment at least, to getting Copa America happen. Not only did it get suspended for a whole year, or postponed rather, but the ongoing protests in Colombia on important issues like taxes and healthcare reform, they removed that were removed from co-hosting uh, it. Then Argentina two weeks ago pulled out due to COVID-19. Brazil players protested and eventually agreed and Brazil will be hosting now as that country also deals with outrageous numbers of COVID cases. Usually host countries have a huge advantage, but obviously I'm not so sure about that now and in part to the fact that matches will be held behind closed doors. And I also want to say for the group stages, only the bottom team in either group doesn't advance to the knockout. So I'd say don't panic regardless of what happened in the group stage. Uh, it's all about what happens in the those three knockout matches. But yeah, the bigger picture here, uh, Levon, is the fact that I, once the matches start and the lights come on, it's all going to be about can Brazil win on their, uh, their, their, home, their home fields again? Can Messi wind up finally winning a major international tournament uh, following his U-20 uh, Olympic medal all those years ago? So, or, you know, or is it going to be Emerson? He'll, he'll be raising it for, again, in Brazil, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Neymar and blah, 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 blah. Danny Alba is also in that squad. Uh, so, yes, when the lights come on, we're going to all care about the tournament. It'll be about the football. It'll be about can Messi win the Copa America. Um, but the big picture is always that while club football does, I mean, whether it's the Super League, you talk about proper wages, you talk about the inequities of, of football throughout the world. But international football, as the kids like to say, Levon, it hits differently when it comes to the issues going on in the world. And for here in the United States, when vaccines have been happening uh you know, it's been happening well. We'll talk about Spain and Busquets in that in the Euro section. But, you know, at least here in the U.S., it's becoming a little bit of an afterthought because things are opening up and vaccines are happening. But it's a reminder that depending on where you're listening to this in the world or watching this on, on YouTube, that it's it's not happening everywhere. In South America, it's still way behind. And the inequities of vaccine distribution, that's a real thing. And those leaders in charge of certain countries who are choosing just not to support their own people whether it's on healthcare reform, whether it's on taxation, those are things that are happening. And I go back to Socrates back in the in the 70s and the choices that he made, that there comes a line. And if Copa America, what I'll say is if, yes, it's too much football, Levon, but if Copa America weren't played because the players refused to play, I would 100% support the players, especially on where their governments have taken the line on COVID-19, certainly. They should just hold a tournament in Venezuela. 
because Venezuela has been very stable the last five years. You know exactly what to expect. It's just terrible year in, year out. There is no COVID, according to Nicolas Maduro. Yeah. So Venezuela would be the perfect spot. That sarcasm. Um, I want to let him know. He's, he's really good at sarcasm. That is for, from uh, Levan. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm also talking about a country where I lived that yeah, I love yeah, yeah. a lot. <laughs> um, let our listeners know that there is an earnestness in his voice, but no, no, no. <laughs> I mean... Um, South America is what it is. So having having lived in South America, uh, everything is more intense. Everything is more more risky. Um, so yeah, is it going to be held in Brazil? Okay. Um, even in Brazil, if the players um, manage it well and the teams manage it well, they can kind of play it in a bubble, right? They can make sure that uh, they stay isolated yeah. and in groups and make sure that uh, they don't uh, go out and mingle. Does every team or every national selection have the discipline for this? Um, <laughs> again, it's South America. Yeah. We, we don't know. But if the players want to play, yeah, let them play because... It's an amazing tournament. Um, yep. If it were in my time zone, uh, I, I would be watching uh, a, a lot of these matches. Uh, I would be rooting for Venezuela. And, you know, I think the best that uh, we've ever done there is get to the semifinals. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I, I would probably like for Messi to win it because, uh, you know, it's something that they always beat him over the head with, that he doesn't have uh, any international success. So just for that, um, I would like him to win it. Is it going to happen? I don't know. It's a pretty unpredictable tournament. Yeah. Um, I think Brazil has the poor, the same poor luck as Paris Saint-Germain, which is they have a lot of talents, but their emotional leader is uh, uh, this guy called uh, Neymar. And, you know, that does not really uh, help at crunch time. But who's to say that Neymar and Brazil are not going to play a brilliant tournament? Uh, we're going to see. Uh, Uruguay will always be in the mix. Yep. Because so, you know, Uruguay is Uruguay and they have a lot of talent. So that's also going to be interesting. I think Argentina probably uh, is starting to have a better team than uh, than they have had in, in the last 10 years. Yeah, I agree with that too. You know, maybe Messi was born five or ten years too late if he had come up with this generation uh, it could have been more interesting for him internationally and it's going to be it's going to be a fun tournament uh, regardless of um covid which is being played in a country where the president uh has said that you know it's nothing worse than the common cold even though their death toll is already at 300 400,000 god knows why um so you know i I wish South America the best. I hope that everybody there uh, enjoys the tournament and I hope that everybody takes care of each other and themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an important thing that the hope is that when those bright lights come on and the play starts, that the things that are going on behind the scenes aren't forgotten. And again, usually they are. And even when the tournament is over and a, a, a champion is potentially crowned, that we don't forget, again, what's continuing to happen there. But yeah, protest is unfortunately one of the best ways to do it. And that was even in the U.S.-Mexico game that the, the there's a homophobic Mexican chant that they stopped the match completely. And and I completely support that those things continue to happen, especially, I mean, Copa America won't have fans, but I think the same thing is going to be happening. And I hope the same thing happens for the Euro, that if, oh. if, you, if you hear things, the only thing to do is to punish the fans in the stadium that 
I mean, for, for a chant to ring out like that, it takes thousands of people. It takes, uh, well, I mean, or at least hundreds of people to be chanting the same thing. And so, you, I mean, you shut it down on the field, you make it wait, and then they walk off. Um, so, I don't know. Where was the match played? Uh, it was played in Denver. I mean, Denver, Colorado, for okay. sake. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're about to open up a huge can of worms. But instead of opening up those worms, let's talk about the Euro <laughs> 2020, 2021. Um, yeah, a little bit above my pay grade. But um, yeah, so there's nine players for Barcelona playing in Euros. Lenglet, Griezmann, Dembele, of course, for France. Brothwaite for Denmark. De Jong with Netherlands. Busquets, well, uh, maybe because he tested positive. But Pedri, Alba, and Eric Garcia also with Spain. So that, that it comes to nine players. Uh, Spain, interestingly enough, one of the big notes, without any Real Madrid players... Uh, Alba, Laporte, uh, Garcia could also start alongside Marcos Llorente at the right uh, right back. So for me, that's going to be, um, I think, my most interesting back line of any team in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, uh, of those, that being Spain, I think they've got a, a tough way to get around it. I mean, the other, I, I don't know the, about the Euro. As you said, the Copa America, every match you're going to expect is going to be between two teams that could go toe-to-toe. This is the deepest field ever for the Euro. You just look at Group C here, Austria, Netherlands, North Macedonia, and Ukraine. I mean, how does Netherlands not prevail there? That said, I watched Frank DeBoer with Atlanta United, so you know he could have another oopsies. Who knows what's going to happen there with Netherlands? I mean, you watched Netherlands, Levon, so yeah, I mean, not to say I don't have trust in Frank DeBoer, but things happen. And then while France, I think, are the favorites in terms of their team and their squad depth and all those things, they're in a group of depth with Germany, Portugal, and France, plus Hungary. So anything could happen in tournament play. You don't know. And then there's Italy, Germany, and England are all floating around, as I mentioned, too. And then, you know, I don't know. I'm going to start this with a hot take, Levon, and you can laugh this off and just talk about what you want to think about the Euros. But Group B is Belgium, an aging Belgium side, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. So I ask you, what is the possibility that Martin Brothwaite is the farthest advancing Barcelona player in this tournament? It depends on the matchup afterwards, though. Yeah. You know, because, um, you know, you have those so-called group of deaths. Well, the first three teams go through, right? right. So, um, sorry, Hungary. that's yeah. yeah that's what, what, what was the one that you mentioned uh, with Hungary? Yeah, it's Germany, Portugal, France, and Hungary. So, apologies. To Hungary. Germany. It, it's only the group of death for Hungary. Hungary. <laughs> right, right. For the other three, it's the group of life. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, so yeah, Denmark will probably get out of, out of their group. They're a well-organized side, and then it's going to depend uh, who Denmark play. Um, so if that group matches up with one of the group of deaths, then it doesn't really matter if Denmark comes first or second, even if they come first, they still have to play against one of the top teams that will be second or third in the other group. So it's, um, it's not even that much of an advantage for Denmark that, that they have an easy group right now. On the other hand, if you're in a group with uh, three heavyweights, you're going to get out of that group. and then. In the next round, you might go against a smaller team from one of the easy groups. So it's not even that much of a disadvantage for them if they end up second or third in in their difficult group. Yeah, I mean, the only downside is if there is a misstep. I mean, if Germany loses to Hungary, it's over for them. Uh, I mean, that's how quickly that can happen. No, no, because then Hungary still needs to get the points in the other matches for against France and against Portugal. Yeah. For Germany, really, you know. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but I also think that international football and those tournaments are unpredictable. I mean, look at the way that Germany crashed out in their group in 
the World Cup. Look at the way that France crashed out in there. I mean, that was, a, that was not even a crash out. That was a full bus mutiny uh, with with France and with Ribéry and 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 Henri. Uh, was that was it eleven years ago now? So yeah, I mean, these things happen. That that these big big clubs. I mean, not clubs, but these big big teams and nations sometimes. Things don't go their way. And so, I mean, one injury and look at Spain. I mean, Spain, if if this continues to spread and by the time we're, we're coming out with this show, if three or four or five other more players po- test positive, now you're talking about, uh, I mean, and this no disservice to, um, what is it, Br- uh, Bryce Mendez from Celta de Vigo or uh, even Diego Llorente from Leeds United tested positive. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you could go up and down the list and now you're going to start to say, well, who can Spain potentially call in? And now you're talking about players who aren't even the top two or three players on Celta de Vigo or who aren't the top two or three, four players from Sevilla or, right? I mean, now you're calling up Oscar Mikaitha or Brian Heal, you know, from the U21. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I think there's still twists and turns. But that said, the tournament does start uh, in, in two days. So we expect that that's going to happen. And uh, I think before we wrap up this podcast, again, it's the summer months, so we're taking it easy. Uh, it's hot here, so you can tell that my brain was melting. Uh, and the same thing with Levon. But um, yeah, Levon, who's your, i say, who's your favorite to win this, to win the, the Euro? France. France, not only do they have the most talent, like France can actually call up a squad of players that they have not selected. Right. That would still compete. That's that's how deep they are. So you think they are, uh, and I guess I'm asking too. Hmm? You think that they're going to actually take it home? I would think so because another another big part of this, uh, especially in a COVID year, it's uh, it's not just who has the best team, uh, because the best team then you start looking at you know the best players, but those best players have mostly played a very intense season mm-hmm. in which their coach has called on those players a lot. Uh, France is actually so deep that the talent that they do have, um, not all of them have played all of their matches. So you can, uh, you have players there that will still be fresh, uh, not only physically, but also mentally. Uh, and usually what happens a lot in these tournaments is not, just the best team, but uh, who comes uh, who comes into this tournament at the right time. Um, and often you see that uh, standout players are players that have not had a great season or have not played as much during a season. Then all of a sudden they take over a tournament. So this this could happen with, with France easily. Um, they can rotate a lot more than, than other teams. Uh, and uh, I think the Shang has rotated in previous tournaments as well because he has all of the talent, so he needs he needs to play uh, a lot of them. They have Benzema this time around, which uh, which is also very interesting, of course, for them. They have guys like Griezmann, who you know it's hilarious when Griezmann scores great goals for France. All of the coolers say, "Oh, why doesn't he score those goals for us?" But then when he scores those goals for us, they just say, "Well, Griezmann is shit. <laughs> Griezmann is." Not good, not very good. Mm-hmm. You might want to edit that one. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> so yeah, I think Fra- France France is in there. England might surprise people for once. You know, I think they their defense is not uh, the best, but they have a young team. There seems to be a very positive energy in that group. I don't see Spain winning because um, I don't think I don't sense a lot of positive positivity. Around Spain. Well, there is. There's COVID um, tests that are all positive. So, yeah. Hmm? 
there's COVID tests yeah. that are positive. Yeah. COVID tests there, are positive. Plenty of positivity, but good maybe point. not the right kind. Yeah, <laughs> very good point. Germany. Germany can also surprise us. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they've um, given up on low. I mean, on love, uh, Jurgi Love completely already, um, knowing Flick is coming in. But if anything, that might be galvanizing for their final turn yeah. with them, right? They, yeah, the, play, the players don't care. No, it's not as like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to play as hard for low because he's not going to be here next year. No, they just want to win the win the tournament. It could be like the typical term, tournament where uh, somebody like Timo Werner all of a sudden starts scoring again. Yeah, you know, he fluffs all of his chances for Chelsea. And it could be that now he, he finds his touch in, in a different environment. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Not as much fun as the Copa America, but there'll be some good matches there. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. that they're, Not only are they good matches, but through the group stage, you kind of get through it because teams just need a, a, a number of points. So I always say it's as much fun as that final match day is supposed to be, it, it winds up not really being much fun. Teams are being rotated. Teams are just trying to get as many points as they need to move on in an advantageous position. So they don't want to get hurt. They just want to manage to get the points and move on. Uh, again, there are teams that unfortunately are going to be on the receiving end of some some big, yeah, some big walloping, if you will, from some of the giants. Again, I, I think Portugal, Italy, don't forget about them. So yeah, I mean, fortunately for this one, because the, the field is as deep as ever, it means none of the we'll say giants missed out at all. So it's all the regular <laughs> big countries you expect to be there. All of them are there because they all got many, many opportunities to get there. And that's why there are new teams like in North Macedonia, who's uh, going to be there. And uh, I enjoy even watching Scotland has made their return for the first time since 1998 to a major tournament. So you have fun storylines like that, England against Scotland. So no Barcelona players to watch. So those are games you just watch as neutrals. And that's my one part of enjoying international football, Levant, is that I get to watch as a neutral. I just get to take in the games. And it's that time of the year where because transfer buzz is everywhere. A player shines for North Macedonia or Ukraine or Austria, and I get to go... <laughs> Hey, does your Barcelona be looking at that player? Or, you know, so even after watching the U21, I'm taking notes. I'm looking at even the Denmark U21s and going, hey, they've got some pretty talented players. Are those Barcelona level in three, four years? And I mean, the answer is probably no. They're probably West Ham or, or Everton level and at, at their best. But hey, you know, this is the moment when you get to kind of enjoy those ideas and hypotheticals of blah, 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 because it's the summertime. So we do appreciate everyone for joining us. Remember, we will continue to have shows every single week. But that'll wrap it up this edition of the show for this week's edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Remember, we're on Twitter and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. You can also find us individually uh, on our handles, of course. He's Barcelona. That's easy to find with Barca and then C-L-E-V. And then you can join our closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. Ask, or well, I'm asking the questions. You just got to provide the answers, and I'll let you into that closed group. And then Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciated from them. You can listen to these without the ads over there, so it's a little incentive to support the show. And we're on YouTube, as you know. I'm plugging again that uh, Barca B, who will get promoted video that I just did yesterday. So that's at the Barcelona Podcast over there. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Vizca Barça. Barça.